The Peace and Liberty Podcast, Episode 7. everybody well life happens and i had a guest cancel and i hope to get her on another time and i know if you get to the other pre-recorded videos for this week i mentioned i have five guests but my backup plan if this did happen was to do an episode regarding a few figures in libertarianism that are also women and i'll do just that noting that i'll mention three in particular who are actually past speakers nonetheless i wanted to do a quick video today to put something out there and to stay on schedule and I still have three more great guests for you all to finish out the week, so I'm not sad. In fact, if you're watching this live, stay tuned after because episode eight will be airing. So you all will get back-to-back -back episodes tonight. I'd also like to thank my friends in the Tom Woods Elite who helped with suggestions for this video. And uh, this is a private Facebook group you can access by becoming a supporting listener for Tom Woods at supportinglisteners.com. It's worth every penny, and you can meet some of the brightest people you can imagine. But without further ado, I'll begin the short video. Now, the first person I'll mention is a very interesting figure in that she was originally an individualist anarchist who would later on proclaim she is an anarchist without adjectives, meaning she didn't care if you were an individualist anarchist, a communist anarchist, or whatever, so long as you didn't, didn't use force and coercion. Uh, her name was Voltaren de Clare. She was born on November 17, 1866, right after the Civil War ended, to her father, uh, Hector de Clare, who was a classical liberal. And if you didn't guess by her name, she was named after Voltaire. Now at age 13, she moved away with her father and attended a covenant school in Ontario, which was right over the Michigan border where her father worked. She hated it. And funny enough, at one point, she supposedly ran away, swam across the river to Port Huron, then hiked 20 miles back to her mother's house. You can imagine the aptitude she had even at a young age. And a quote by her, which I love is, Free thought is the right to believe is the evidence coming in contact with the mind forces it to believe. This implies the admission of any and all evidence bearing upon any subject. Now, by the age of 20, she was already a writer and a well-rounded public speaker. She lectured in the eastern and midwestern parts of the U.S., as well as in England, Scotland, and Norway, often to hundreds and sometimes over a thousand. Eugenia de Lamont noted that during her 1908 anarchist demonstration in Philadelphia, that Voltaire addressed upwards of 2,000 people. Even nearly 2,000 people came to her funeral. She never wrote a book, but she was famous for some of her essays, one in particular, which is Anarchism and American Traditions, which appeared in 1908 and 1909 in Pages of Mother Earth, which was Emma Goldman's Anarchist magazine. Interestingly enough, uh, Emma Goldman was an anarcho-communist, while Voltaren was an individualist anarchist. I'll include a, a link to the essay, but I want to read a brief snippet of it before I move on to the next figure I'll discuss. And this quote, she describes the difference between minarchists and anarchists. The difference lies in the belief, on the one hand, that the closest approximation to equal liberty might be best secured by the rule of the majority in matters involving united action of any kind, and on the other hand, the belief that majority rule is both impossible and undesirable, that any government, no matter what its forms, will be manipulated by a very small minority, as the development of the states and United States governments has strikingly proved. So as you can see, she was a very good writer. And though she wasn't a communist, she was still respected by many like Goldman. For example, quoting her one more time, Miss Goldman is a communist. I am an individualist. She wishes to, to destroy the right of property. 
I wish to assert it. I make my war upon privilege and authority, whereby the right of property, the true right, and that which is proper to the individual, is annihilated. She believes that cooperation would entirely supplant competition. I hold that competition in one form or another will always exist, and that it is highly desirable it should. Volterine would later go on to state that she didn't care what version of anarchy you upheld, so long as you didn't force, uh, use force to get your way. So I'm going to link to both a Mises article by Jeff Riggenbach, which is a transcript of a video that I'll link to as well, and I'll link to the essay, Anarchism in American Traditions. Now, the next person I'll discuss is a very important figure, and her name is Rose Wilder Lane. Again, I'm going to be referencing another transcript by Jeff Rickenbach. And I'll tell you what, Jeff has done one of these talks on most figures you could think of. So Rose, Rose Wilder Lane lived from 1886 to 1968, and she was actually one of the highest paid writers in the United States during her days as a journalist, war correspondent, and novelist. Libertarianism as we know it was... Uh, you know, developed in the 40s, with of course books like The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, uh, and three main others, namely God of the Machine by Isabel Patterson, The Road to Serfdom by Hayek, and a book called The Discovery of Freedom by Rose Wilder Lane. This was published in 1943. In fact, when Arno Press asked uh, Murray Rothbard to pick out a library for reprinting, he included The Discovery of Freedom in it. It's interesting to note that Lane was actually a devout communist growing up. In fact, quoting her, she said, since the progress of science and invention enables us to produce more goods than we consume, no one should lack any material thing. And then she would go on to say things like labor produces everything. And she also says, when the capitalist is gone, who will manage production? The state. And what is the state? The state will be the mass of the toiling workers. It was at the, so she eventually snapped out of it when she visited the uh, Soviet Union. She noted noted that while things seemed okay, when you talk to actual people, they were ashamed of their government. And Lane remembers when she spoke to one man, quote, his complaint was government interference with village affairs. He protested against the growing bureaucracy that was taking more and more men from productive work. And she goes on to say, I came out of the Soviet Union no longer a communist because I believed in personal freedom. Like all Americans, I took for granted the individual liberty to which I had been born. It seemed as necessary and as inevitable as the air I breathed. It seemed the natural element in which human beings lived. And what I saw in the Soviet Union was not an extension of human freedom, but the establishment of tyranny on a new, widely extended and deeper base. And again, she realized that quote, in that quote, Centralized economic control over multitudes of human beings must be continuous and it must be autocratic. It must be government by a swift flow of edicts issued in haste to catch up with events receding into the past before they can be reported, arranged, analyzed, and considered, and it will be compelled to use compulsion. Lane was also an opponent of the New Deal, quoting her again. A group of sincere and ardent collectivists seized control of the Democratic Party used it as a means of grasping federal power and enthusiastically from the motives which many of them regard as the highest idealism, began to make America over. The Democratic Party is now a political mechanism having a genuine political principle, National Socialism. 
So she was quite the writer, again, and quite the critic of collectivism. I got a link to that transcript and I'll also link to a free PDF book of the discovery of freedom. And if you haven't realized, Mises.org is a gem with all its resources that it has. Now, the last person I'll mention is a name I mentioned earlier, and that is that is Isabel Patterson. She was born Isabel Bowler. She was born uh, 1886 and died in 1961. She was considered one of the greatest autodidacts of the last two centuries in that she was able to read and absorb information in the way we would think of Murray Rothbard and, and how he would de devour shelves of books at a library, as David Gordon puts it. Now, Patterson studied typing when she was younger and eventually became a prominent writer as she drifted into journalism. Uh, funny enough, she got into trouble for criticizing the people above her in her writing, but she eventually became an editorial writer. She worked in places like Calgary, Spokane, Vancouver, San Francisco, and finally New York. Now, in 1921, she became an assistant to Burton Rasco uh, for the New York Tribune, which later became the New York Herald Tribune. She wrote in the Herald Tribune's book section for 25 years from 1924 to 1959. Now, like Rose Wilder Lane, she too opposed most of the policies presented in the New Deal. Patterson is also credited for adding to Ayn Rand's knowledge. And as we know, though, Ayn Rand didn't call herself libertarian. In 1943, Patterson published The God of Machine. It's the God of the Machine, excuse me. It's hard to describe this book. You just got to read it, but I'm going to link to it again with a Mises link to a free PDF and again with a Mises link to a Riggenbach lecture on Isabel Patterson. Well, everybody, if you're watching live on March 14th, you've got another episode airing right after this, so you won't want to miss it. I discuss liberty with my good friend Sherry Clark, also known as Sherry Voluntary. See you after this 15-minute intermission, and if you're watching uh, this later on, thank you for the support. As always, for peace and liberty, have a good night. Hey everyone, please like, follow, donate, subscribe, and share. Any donations will be used to reach more people.